Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma-rated, and swore to protect the world that fears and hates it. And aired live every week, only in a non-productive network. The only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined by Pete and James and our special guest commentator, which we'll introduce a little later in the show. Hey, guess what, folks? What, folks? What, folks? It's the spoopy season. Spoopy is the way the internet says spooky now. I hate that word. Good. It's a thing, though. I think it's a thing. Oh, definitely. I also think it's a somewhat accurate thing. Scary, but not like non-threatening scary is what I would call spoopy. All right. It's a combination of spooky and spooky. Noopy. Sure. What? So we're going to do some like Halloween version of scary. <laughs> we're doing some <laughs> Halloween themed books uh, this week, as well as uh, covering uh, the the usual uh, gamut. We've got some DC, we've got some Marvel, we've got the latest in X Men, uh, and I think we're going to start off with something I thought was a lie when I saw it on the shelf. I thought, <laughs> is this some sort of fan art? This isn't a real thing because I missed it when they first done it last year. That's right. A dark horse mm-hmm. who still, for some reason, is doing Star Wars books. Yeah, I'm still not sure how the licensing works with that. Good for them for sneaking. It. Disney is is definitely on the cover, but uh, also Dark Horse uh, is doing a limited series. I'm gonna guess it's five because my research indicates that last year there were five books in the in the series, and we're just running out of uh, spoopy days in October. Uh, Star Wars Adventures Return to Vader's Castle, which is a follow-up to last year's Vader's Castle, or Tales of Tales Vader's from Ca- Vader's Dale- Castle. Tales from Va- Vader's Castle. So basically, imagine if you took Tales from the Crypt, like the old EC comics, with a, a horror host narrator and a bunch of disjointed tales about something scary happening, and set it in Mustafar. Uh, Vader's castle in in his lava planet. Yeah, yeah, and that's literally what this is. And I'm like, this isn't real. Oh yes, <laughs> it is 100 percent real. I've read the first four issues. It's totally weird that Vader put his castle on Mustafar. Yeah, that's like Batman making the Batcave in Crime Alley. Yeah, no, I could definitely. Oh, you know, come on, Vader is definitely emo enough to do that. Also, I don't know, making it in your dead parents house I, I feel like there's still some stuff there there's, a li- there's, there's some a stuff tab. to unpack there's well tab. it's his house at that point but um, all right we're getting uh. we're getting it off so our guest commentator this week none other than non-pro's resident star wars a file that's probably not what you want to be called anyways matt matt how you doing can you tell us a little background of what this reminds you of so the idea behind vader's castle was actually something that was a thing in the old star wars expanded universe and could go on forever about then and now but basically there was a a children's novel series called junior jedi knights and (laughs) it it took place after return of the jedi and it's about like the next generation of jedi knights training under luke skywalker's academy on yavin 4 and then the main character is han and leia's youngest son (gasps) um yeah they had a bunch of kids back then benji no no probably not benji actually benji solo uh anakin Oh, Anakin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's only so many names. Yep, <laughs> of course. And so the books are all about his wacky adventures. And one of them, um, he and his companion travel to Vader's castle. And so when you mentioned Vader's castle, that like perked me and was like, oh my God, I haven't heard about something like that in a long, long time. So that's really interesting that they're kind of bringing that back. It's. It's full canon now. I mean, Vader's Castle has made a film appearance. He's, uh, it's in uh, Rogue, Rogue One. One. That's right. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's I... there very briefly, but there is a, a, 
It's a wonderful scene because it makes you feel like, well, this is probably the only scene Vader's going to be in in this movie. And spoiler alert, he's there again later. Uh, <laughs> it, but yeah, this so this book is pretty interesting. Uh, let me let me uh, set up the the tale. Effectively, there are, there are only four issues out as a time of this recording. There'll probably be a fifth one by the time you hear this. Maybe maybe not. Right before Halloween, I think on October thirtieth, the fifth book will come out. Yeah, the gimmick is you're in uh, Vader's castle. And you're hearing Vader's assistant, who's yes, Vader's assistant, whose uh, name is Vanny. He's the Sith lackey. He's just this guy who helps Vader do things. It looks like he's cosplaying Palpatine. Yes, yeah, he does. He does very much look like he's cosplaying Palpatine, and he is torturing a uh, a rebel who went into Vader's castle to steal something. That Vader had. Apparently, it is a Jedi or no, uh, an ancient religious artifact that was very shiny. Mm. That's that is in the rebels' um, like mental box. He's like, yeah, I'm being tortured right now, but in my defense, it was an extremely ch- shiny uh, artifact. <laughs> so this thing is definitely like goofy. It 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 is aimed at the kids' market, and I think Star Wars adventures are all yeah. pretty much aimed in that mm. that area. But it's definitely got the EC flair. In the first story, it's called The Horned Devil. Not much of a spoiler. You see Darth Maul, but he's he's the spider centaur Maul, oh. which I believe is something that happens in, in some of the, yep. the animated yeah. things yep. later on. So it's it's awesome. It's a really cool plot line. These are all written by uh, Kevin Scott, and this is like this feels like a really good D and D adventure. I would definitely play this game uh, about uh, you know a junk planet and Darth Maul and and. Uh, spider centaurs or whatever. There's a couple other stories as well. Each one has its own story. Uh, there's one that is about Tarkin, who makes basically a Frankenstein monster who comes back for revenge. There's one that has oh the monks, the monks with their brains in a jar oh, that in the, Jabba's palace. The, the Bomar monks, monks, yeah, Bomar monks, really, yeah. wow. And that is definitely a heist movie slash D and D game that I would love to see. It's it's got the. It's got the huts in there and a family squabbling and giant monsters fighting in a in like a fighting pit and of course these really weird spider robots with brains in them that are uh, appearing. That are monks. Yeah, there are monks. They're barely in the movies and they're weirdly in the expanded universe stuff. But this they get a, they're a full story and uh, I can't. I'm I'm blanking on the last story, but it's about it, Skippy the Jedi robot. <laughs> there are actually follow-up stories in each book that are even more like ridiculous and short than the main stories, and they take place all throughout the Star Wars canon. Mm. It's a lot of fun if you're into this kind of stuff. If you're into EC books and Star Wars, this is a have to. You must buy this. Uh, so I got to give the the entire run a near mint. I cannot wait. For the fifth story in this, I'll see if I can find the the synopsis of the fourth one I'm missing. But yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's fun adventures, and I really do dig this line coming from Star Wars. I dig. I think this is where this is the sweet spot for Star Wars stories. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Oh wait, how did I forget? It's uh, Asad Ventress. I'm probably okay. pronouncing that wrong. Yeah. No, I think she, you got it right. She's an assassin slash bounty hunter at this right. stage in her career, uh, and. There's something going on that's killing a bunch of people in this like this backwater planet, and she's being hired by one of the crime bosses to figure out what it is because it's cutting into his profits. And uh, spoiler alert: it's a it's a creature from Star Wars lore that you never wanted to see like this. It really is 
silly, but good. I highly recommend all the books. Get all four. I would even, I'm even going to recommend the fifth one, that uh, Sight Unseen. And there's a, there's a story arc that follows through, and it's this rebel who is being tortured by uh, Vader's lackey and, you know, escapes and then gets captured again and all that. So I'm assuming we're going to get the end of the story in the next book. Pete, you had a uh, spooky kind of story you want to review with yeah, us? Yeah, I've got one. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of you referring to this one as kind of like a, a D&D campaign that you'd want to play. Because I read Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons, Chapter 2, Painscape. Oh, wow. I love this. We've got the first two issues of this out already. I love the Rick and Morty D&D stuff. Yeah, the first one was excellent. Uh, we... we if you go back and check, we we all we covered that when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Very enjoyable. Chapter two, I'm kind of on the fence with. Oh, that's unfortunate. The basic premise on this is it's kind of a reaction to how mainstream popular D and D has gotten, and how that's uh, taking away from uh, the uniqueness of the experience. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting take on it. I mean, it starts with the family. Just sitting there like zombies watching Dungeons and Dragons television programming. Oh, like a live like, stream D and D thing. Wow. Like, uh, and a D and D home shopping network type uh-huh. thing. And and Jerry's just ordering everything off of there and having to borrow credit cards. This is a interesting. What a weird time to be alive. Yeah. We've reached the point where D and D is once again hated, but for different reasons. Yeah, <laughs> for being too popular. Oh, what are you oh, talking man. about? D&D? Oh, I play something more niche. <laughs> Through a roundabout series of things, the family gets sucked into Rick's old D&D adventure concepts. You know, you, you've got NPCs named, uh, like a blacksmith named B. Smith, parentheses, placeholder. They run afoul of a series of characters that Rick has generated in the past, but discarded because he didn't like them. Mm. There's Bard Rick. There's Sorcerer Rick. And while that's happening, Rick himself gets sucked away via portal and trapped in the Tomb of Horrors. Oh, good. That He deserves that 100%. Yeah. All right. Noticing noticing the uh, the giant green face <laughs> and recognizing it there, the green devil face. Is it too early to review this, do you think? Or are you, are you pretty confident in what you think about it? Um, I can give it a ranking so far. Yeah, it's saved by moments... That are really good. Like, there's a whole page of Rick befriending Acerarak, the demi-lich of the Tomb of Horrors. And the two of them realizing that they're basically cut from the same cloth. There's some high moments. I'm not sure that it's really... It really hasn't nailed the tone of the first one so far. Mm, That's disappointing. So, for now, I can only give it a good. Alright. It's a high good, but a good... Are you going to stick with it? Yeah, I'm going to stick with it. Right. I'll let you know at the end whether or not it pays off. But yeah, it's also missing a lot of the uh, the cute little extras that we got, like the character sheets in the back of the first series. But you know, we'll see. It's not it's not bad. All right, James, you have a somewhat spooky book you want to read? I think you should consider it spooky. I just I can't make that decision for you, James. Is the reason why I hesitated. I'd say it's <laughs> horror themed, certainly at the very least. So back in April, Boom Studios released a reboot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Basically a retooling of the original concept, updating it for a bit of a modern audience and kind of replaying with some of the characters, um, which has been really good. 
alongside of it, though, they released the Angel series, which is something that I've been catching up with. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Angel is the vampire counterpart to Buffy in the Buffy universe. But I think what's been so... Edward, if Edward was cool. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I'm really enjoying these set of books, right as we're coming up to their first crossover. I like what they've done with reinventing Angel, while kind of taking a stepping point from Angel's original series, but starting it before his interaction with Buffy. Oh, so. Okay. We're starting to see Angel form his relationships with Fred and Gunn and a couple of the other characters that we know as television Angel mainstays, but without having to first go through the interactions with Buffy. Um, And they're putting a really interesting spin on those relationships as well as his relationship to the city of Los Angeles and to his framing kind of as as a person outside of time. I'm, I'm curious, how does this relate to the Buffy TV series? Does it pick up afterwards? Does so it ignore it completely? It ignores it completely. So this is as if they were, they essentially got the original pitch for Buffy and Angel and were like, okay, and we're going to start from here. Okay. Um, so they've taken the opportunity to update some of the characters to give their backstories a little bit more updating. I'll use the, the Buffy comic, for example. Willow is gay right out of the gate. She's already in a relationship with the woman. They reinterpret Xander's character a little bit, and they're doing kind of the same thing in the Angel comic. Okay. The first arc focuses on a really amazing villain, um, which is a demon that has essentially uses social media to prey on the self-esteem of young teenagers. And... Um, Angel gets caught up in trying to essentially help an old friend's daughter who he had saved this man many, many years ago. Angel's kind of perspective and look at social media through the times and the way, um, you know, social interaction has changed plays into a huge part in the first story arc, which um, isn't something I I was thinking of where they were going to go with uh, a Buffy comic, particularly... You know, when you think of these characters being tied together and this series kind of having a lot of fun with the crossover elements and stuff like that, to kind of commit to making it, you know, its own thing first instead of doing it the way the TV series did, I think really benefits it. And it's made it very enjoyable. So what do you uh, rank the book? I think right now, at least the first arc, which I think is the um, it's the first four or five issues, I'm going to say it's it's a near mint. There's still some issues with it, um, you know, there's still some issues and some things I wish they would change. Angel is still a little, you know, maybe a little too brooding uh, for my adult sensibilities. But yeah, I think the um, the topics they're tackling are really interesting. And the fact that the character in the beginning here is so separated from Buffy and really being fleshed out on his own in his own series as his origin as compared to tying him up with the Hellmouth and the Sunnydale crew you know, I think adds a lot to his story. And that's fun. Hmm. Very cool. I don't know if I'm comfortable with a uh, timeline where Once More with Feeling didn't happen. I mean, we haven't gotten... It's early. What, issue seven or eight uh, on the Buffy series and five or six with the uh, Angel series? You you got time. You got time. Well, speaking of early in the run, I want to bring up another uh, spooky comic before we wrap up some of our Halloween reviews 
I stumbled upon a book recently that I am really enjoying. It is a Dark Horse published book called Steeple. And Steeple is John Allison and Sarah Stern and Jim Campbell. So basically the story is about a reverend who lives in this small European town. I think I think it's in Great Britain. It's the best I could guess here. If, there, uh, if there's a lot of C's and W's and Y's that look like they're just randomly thrown together, uh-huh. it's probably whales. Okay. I think they're also the the reverend who is in charge of the small little town. I believe um, they're Anglican. And this is where I'm that like uh, just yeah. guessing at the, some of the little things. Uh, he fights monsters at night. And it, it with his fists, for the most part, it's like he goes out there, he beats up the, the, the monsters that come out from the sea. Punching demons for Christ, yes. Yeah, and uh, he's looking for help, and the church sends him a curate by the name of Billy Baker, who is this really, like, positive young woman who wants to, like, help the people of the village and, you know, do some social outreach and et cetera. And she stumbles upon the fact that this this town, much like James, your um, Buffyverse, is dealing with a bunch of monsters that are coming to invade. Uh, but unlike the standard Buffy angel formula, these monsters don't seem super threatening. They just seem to be, like hanging around <laughs> and the reverend beats them up because they are they look relatively threatening I, I think only two issues have come out so far and it is very interesting i love the art style i absolutely adore it um uh billy makes friends with a local uh, i guess hellion like I, it's hard she drives a motorcycle she works at the bar in the cafe or whatever and she happens to be a satanist it's Really interesting. The, the relationship between these two women, the relationship between Billy and the Reverend, everybody in this town seems very quaint. I'm I'm calling it next year. BBC's making a series out of this. It's really good. It's a lot of fun. The art is uh, beautiful. And uh, it's interesting to see that there is some secret behind the town, but it's not, it doesn't seem overly dramatic despite the fact that it involves a reverend and the spawn of satan maybe uh but yeah highly recommend steeple two issues out so far i think it's a five issue miniseries uh john allison go out pick it up so far this is a near mint i mean i i'm i can't wait for the book to finish up because this may actually be a mint the story is very cool and like i said the art is amazing all right, Pete, you got one more for us before we go into Marauders. Sure. Uh, I've got uh, one more on DC's Detective Comics, issue 1014. My, they're up there. This is continuing a story that they've been following with Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze has been granted the ability now to uh, traverse wherever he wants without the suit. He can now survive oh, neat. Uh, in regular temperatures. All right, so he's Mr. Slight Chili. But even more importantly, he's ramped up his uh, efforts and has recently, as of the very end of last panel of last issue, has managed to revive Nora Freeze. Oh, his uh, his wife. And this is now the first time we're actually really getting to meet Nora Freeze. I've always thought of this as one of the most tragic and haunting love stories in comic books. 
I think probably no little thanks to the uh, the animated series. Oh yeah, the yeah. animated series is what gave it to us. Heart of Ice, I believe, was yeah, the name of the episode. Maybe. But yeah, this is watching Nora come to terms with the the fact that she's lost so much time that she apparently begged Victor not to freeze her. Mm. Uh, that she wanted to fight the cancer that she had on her own, even if it meant that she was going to die. And also coming to terms with what he's done in, in the name of bringing her back. The, uh, the innocence he's hurt mm-hmm. along the way. It's, uh, it's a very interesting story that, unfortunately, in this issue, we don't get too much of. We don't, we don't get uh, much resolution to it. And uh, we, we do see her uh, eventually joining forces with her husband and maybe suffering a little bit of the same psychosis he does. For those of you who are fans of the Victor Freeze story, I, I highly recommend picking this issue up. It's a, it's a very good one, uh, and hopefully they do pick up the strands that they've left hanging. I'm going to give this one a near mint. Great. All right. That kind of wraps up our uh, Halloween coverage, but... The Hickman X-Men books are still coming strong. Pirates are still a Halloween thing. It's true. and It all uh, ties in, man. This, this, is, this is theming for the entire episode. Don't sell us short. Yeah, let's deal it with was intentional. Marauders number one. In Marauders number one, we see Kitty Pride taking lead on a group of mutants on a boat on the high seas out there trying to save... All those mutants who can't just freely go through a portal and land themselves in Krakoa. It's one of the things we actually kind of brought up uh, in our X-Men raid. The Krakoa portals are neat, and the countries that have made packs with Krakoa in exchange for these miracle drugs, it kind of makes sense why mutants might want to go to this paradise island. What about all those places in the world where humans are just resistant and would rather thumb their noses at miracles, then uh, capitulate. Yeah. Quick shout out to uh, whoever decided to entitle this episode, I'm on a boat. Oh, is that what this yeah. issue is called? The, the, the issue is called I'm on a boat. Very good. Lonely uh, Island reference. So I believe Jerry Duggan writes this one. I think he maybe this is maybe the first X-Men book that isn't helmed by Hickman, if I'm correct. In, I, in this in, series, yeah. So this is our first chance to see what a first another post writer. Hox Pox mm-hmm. new and, writer. Uh, it basically it's it brings up a lot of interesting points and does so pretty well. My big issue with this is I, I like that Kitty couldn't use the portal and that she had to go take a boat to Krakoa and got pr- plenty drunk on the way. I think all, these are our fun character developments here and there. Uh, and I even like the fact that we're dealing with what humans who aren't playing along are behaving. Uh, I, I wonder if we're ever going to deal with mutants who aren't maybe interested in Krakoa. I thought we were almost going to get it with Kitty, but still, she did want to show up. She did show up. She was in the boat, and she's I, working for the cause. I believe we do have a book coming out that is going to deal with that specifically. Okay, interesting. And I think this book specifically focuses like a lot on Kitty. In fact, there's like you know, like Storm pops in and out and there's a couple other characters that like I was hoping we might get a little bit more meat from. I mean, it's only issue one, but it was obviously very heavy, you know, Kitty focused, her motivations, you know, kind of why she's there doing this. 
Kitty Pride, one of my favorite characters growing up. Oh, yeah. Loved her. Definitely. Still still one of my favorites. Yeah. And I do, I appreciate the look. They they give her a black eye immediately and a bloody nose. And they they set her up as a pirate very gradually and fun. I I did enjoy that. Real quick. Sure. I just want to say uh, Fallen Angels. Which is going to be the last of the uh, the Dawn of X books to premiere on November thirteenth is the one that's going to focus on mutants that don't want to be. Oh, part very of, neat, uh, very neat. So right now, this book is focusing on humans that aren't playing along, but in a more passive, generally more passive way. They're not building giant robots and sending them to Krakoa necessarily, but they are, you know, clandestine investigating what's going on. Uh, trying to prevent their own citizens from joining up with Krakoa. Looks um, like maybe we've got you know the the places that form militias around Krakoa portals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what do we think? What do we think about this book so far? I mean, this is our first chance to find extra X Men material. I find the world building very interesting. Hickman in Hoxpox did the very broad brush strokes. I think he presented how the mutant utopia is supposed to work. And now we're starting to see the the instances where it doesn't quite go to plan. I like that. I think uh, it was a little weirder for me because, like, I got back into these X-Men books with so much of Hickman's voice in it. So I feel like this has a little bit of a different voice to it, which is good. But also, like, I kind of felt that lacking. It kind of tried to bring home this book's higher concept and, and... kind of play it into the larger narrative. I, I just don't know if it slithered in as, as well as I'd like. It's hard because it's only the first issue. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Iceman in this and how he's presented? Oh, I love him. I love Iceman. It's... I'm aiming for something in particular. I'm happy and not happy at the same time with a lot of this because a lot of these X-Men are acting a lot more like themselves. But I don't know... If I like that. Right, because you want to believe that there's something it's, happening to yeah, them. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is an intentional thing or if, you know, we're just ignoring the fact that they were all acting really weird. Like Storm is not doing the whole crazy Wicker Man cult leading thing that she was doing. I would right. say that she's not in a resurrection uh, moment, right? They, they've yeah. already proven it. Like, maybe that's her role during the resurrections. Uh, for me, the thing about Iceman that I pull out is him going through the portal a couple times and then losing his powers and, and being attacked and then going back in the portal like it's no big deal. He doesn't act the way a mutant might act if on the other side of the portal... There is a depowering ray that will stop you from being able to protect yourself. He's acting, in my opinion, as a person who has an immortality backup. Yeah, mm, and that's a I good point. Love that. I love that he's already they are, they are already a little smug about it. And I don't know if that was just my reading, but to me, it felt like these people do not care. They've got Big Brother behind them. They've got a big. Big stick behind them is probably a better way of putting it. And no nation around the world, whatever rules it has, is really going to stand up to them. It's not going to stop them. They might die, but it doesn't matter. They'll come back. That's... I get that from some of them. Yeah. Uh, not all of them. I, I don't get that read off of Kitty. No, I didn't Even though she her. is being a lot bolder than I've often seen her. 
and I, that's appropriate, I think, because she definitely is one, as we've seen, as we see in this book, who should be questioning whether or not everything is working the way it's supposed to be working. Right. Uh, let's take another uh, side of this. The uh, uh, God, our, our firebug here, who Pyro? I was Pyro. Say Pyro. Yeah. So the original Pyro. Yes. Is there he... has recently been a, a new Pyro who had similar flame powers that was kind of in the field promoted to X-Men recently. I, we don't know where he is right now, but this Pyro just wakes up talking just like he did on the X-Men cartoon show. And amongst the first to be resurrected as a lab rat. Yeah. So this is very telling. First of all, that uh, there are people who will get resurrected to the, yeah, it's been a while. Like, there was no formal reintroduction. There was no, hey, this person has been dead for a while. This is a big deal. It's like, Charles is just bringing people back, so this might happen from time to time. Yeah, and you yeah. might just stumble upon them sleeping in the hold of the ship, which I think is sort of ridiculous. Not only is it, like, ridiculous on the surface level, but imagine not only aren't you ever going to die, but all the people you've ever known who have passed might just show up again. Except Destiny. How about that? <laughs> How about that? What does that make you feel? In context of the book or out of context Either. of the book? Either. I mean... I feel like in context of the book, I would be... I'd be going nuts. I have no... You know, and I think um, you guys talked about it in X-Men 1. Like, some of the relationships these people have with the other characters who've been dead are, like, weird. bizarre. Yeah. So, and well, you know, again, not being like a long person stooped in history, I didn't see anything here that might have suggested any of those sorts of relationships. But still, you know, I didn't even know that this was a pyro that had died after a long time, you know? Yeah, he was a victim of the legacy virus. Think of this paradise that has been created where death is not permanent and it doesn't, it may not matter. All those grudges between superhero and supervillain, theoretically, are easier to sort of absolve and forgive if, like, you killed my father, that's why I want revenge, but no, no, he's back, it's fine. Like, eventually it will roll off, you could imagine it, and that may be why villain and hero could sit at the same table, because it's like, well, were there really consequences to what you did to me? But there's a whole other avenue of... People have changed as a result of death. This is this is a, a little microdose of the five years later Endgame thing. Like, what yeah. if you remarried, and that person, the person who you thought yeah. passed, comes back? Like, what do you do now? Well, I could tell you what you do. You, Cyclops, and Jean Grey can have three bedrooms that are right next to each other with doorways opening up in between <laughs> each other. That's what blew my mind. I've heard people talking about the the shared beer and all the kind of innuendo and the art and whatever. And that's fine. But like, I looked at the map. It's very apparent. And the door, there's... They have ab- doors. They, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yep. So Wolverine and Cyclops are either side of Jean Grey's bedroom. And they are, they're the only ones, I believe, that have doors that go into each other's rooms. And Which the, could mean nothing, and it could mean something, and it's actually, I, I, I'm i not, you know, I'm just this vanilla guy here. I don't <laughs> have anything to say about this, other than I actually do appreciate the innuendo as opposed to being in your face with characters like this. I think you get a lot more traction mm. with the innuendo than you do by spelling anything out. I think the, the unresolved thing is that I think the last time Cyclops died and came back, he was, last time he died, he was still in love with Emma. 
Yeah. And married to Emma. In theory, like just expanding on that is like, is this is this a version of paradise where if you're in heaven and you married him? I remember asking this as a little kid to family members who passed away. It's so horrible. But like, if you remarried, which who are you going to be in heaven with now? <laughs> well, the answer is all of them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so it's it's a lot. I think, you know, and I'm, I'm sure the books will tackle this at some point, but someone's going to have to come up with a way to fight the the resurrection death thing and it, it might have even been charles himself right the eternal torture at the center of the island i mean someone <laughs> else could implement that you know yeah uh, and and i think we might see it pretty early on here in this book i mean pirates you know torture is the name of the game well they're going to be a different kind of pirate that don't do slavery and are seen as liberators which we know never seen that go wrong yeah right our uh, human trafficking has a good end yeah we do it for the right reasons right bishop shows up in this book and just to be like that there are other people who are spreading rumors about what happens to mutants who go through the portal which makes sense i like the fact that it's not just we put a tank there so people won't walk in uh we also spread misinformation because that makes sense and, is that? Uh, I don't necessarily get that that's what's going on, it, that there's misinformation. Me, yeah, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. It's too yeah, like I get to the feeling that's that's a uh, a woman whose human point of view, I don't mean that human versus mutants, but I mean... You're right. Yeah, relatable. Like, relatable, because, you know, from her perspective, that's what happened. Right, and then the question is, what's the, is the husband just being like, yeah, I'm out? <laughs> or was the husband like, oh, I left and I can't come back? We don't really know. We have yet to deal with mutants who don't want to be involved. Do you yeah. Im- immediately join the uh, the resurrection cult? Yeah. Upon entry to Krakoa, and it I, sounds like you've already joined the resurrection cult if you're a mutant. You don't have a choice. And who would say well, no? I, I'm talking about like you're eligible for resurrection, but are you drinking the Kool Aid? Yeah. yeah. Or do you have? Yeah. So, anyways, two of my highlights from this book is uh, Kitty's fight scene. Where she just awesome. she just goes ape on everyone using her powers in all the best ways. So good, worth worth it just for that. And uh, I I also love Wolverine swimming out to the ship to get his stuff because Kitty brought him a bunch of booze. Really, yeah. That list booze is and ribs. that list is fabulous. I think we could probably try hitting up all the things on Wolverine's list to get from the mainland. Yeah, as is uh, Pyro's reaction. To uh, Lockheed giving him a light. That was pretty cool, too. Uh, the, the list, impartially, is ribs, Canadian club whiskey, suds, Cubano sandwiches from a specific place in the village, pomade, keep that one under your hat, and coffee. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did enjoy the book overall. Uh, I'm ready to give my review. Uh, I gotta be honest, as a, a single issue, just the Kitty Pride fighting scene alone is worth a mint. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> Uh, and the fact that it's toying with all these things that I wanted them to toy with so bad. Anybody else? I'll go with a near mint. I, you know, maybe I'm just so used to the other two books being a little bit more balanced or focusing on a whole bunch of other things. Uh, kind of the the focused lens we had on Kitty was maybe not what I was looking hmm. for. Fair enough. And Pete. Well, if you ask me to submit uh, to an internet poll what I think the name of this book should be. Mm. It's Minty McMintment. <laughs> uh, but speaking of name, you did have an issue. 
Uh, which is something that they brought up barely in this book. Marauders. Oh, yes. Weird. Good point. Very yeah. weird choice. Because uh, well, they're former Marauders, right? Yeah, the Marauders in comic book history are the group of murderous uh, ne'er-do-well mutants that Mr. Sinister hired Gambit to put together. That was a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, that carried out the mutant massacre. The, the, the entire point of them was to go into the sewers of Manhattan and murder all of the Morlocks that were living down there. This is really a, uh, a major event, and it's, it's essentially naming your team after a death squad. I mean, or it could be a very informed name. We don't know. It's like that's that's guess, kind of the but point. Then Kitty it's, is really hiding her evil on this one. It's especially it's hard, especially given the explanation that she gives well, that she was she was in oh. the spur of the moment and just came up with it. Although that totally would happen to me. And probably has. I can't me- remember how many times I've said something. What do we call you guys? The Luftwaffe. <laughs> it sounds familiar, right? Luftwaffe. It's that. That's the cookie you put on your coffee that warms up. It's nope. not a Luftwaffe. What is it? Stroopwaffle. Stroopwaffle. Honestly, didn't was a jerk. Honestly, was a jerk. Or like Stormtrooper from Star Wars. I'm sure when when they were originally brainstorming, they were like, eh, Stormtrooper sounds mean." Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's use Stormtrooper. That's not a thing. It's like- what are you guys going to... You're on a boat. What are you going to call yourselves? We're we're the super sailors. That's right. You could call us the SS. That's, <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying... We've may- got maybe two more of these folks. <laughs> just muscle maybe, maybe from an outside perspective, like from a foreshadowing sort of the authors chose this name perspective. Oh, yes, definitely. Maybe. Not necessarily Kitty going like, yeah, I don't remember that being a particularly problematic name in any way. Yeah. Something funny about the Khmer Rouge. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're done. Yeah, we are definitely <laughs> done. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Near Mint, please like, follow, and subscribe so you keep the latest in the podcatcher of your choice. Oh, and leave us a good review so more people find out about the show. Uh, next week, probably a little bit more X-Men. I think we've got one more X-Men book coming out. Oh, no, wait. That's not true. We're on hiatus for at least a week because of the holidays. That was There was air quotes on that. Well, we have to fortify our homes for Goosey Night. Goosey Night. If you know what Goosey Night is, like, follow, and subscribe to Dear Mates. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.